0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's 9 a.m. If you're here, uh, if you've been here for a while, we've been doing 10 a.m., and so we just thought we'd get an early jump on the day uh, with us doing two services today, so um, uh, there may be some people coming here in about 15 minutes. We can all stare at them and say, uh, no, just kidding. Uh, but it's, it's gonna happen. So just make room for them when they walk in awkwardly and be like, oh gosh, I forgot it was 9-11. So just make them feel right at home, all right? Well, um, my name is Tyler Hardy uh, and I'm the senior pastor here at Antioch and um, we're so glad you're here and uh, especially college students just for you today. All right, so just, just trying to be your favorite pastor. I am wearing the socks, so uh, I want to give uh, kudos to my wife. I think she got me these socks, even though she's a Baylor Bear. Uh, yeah, that, that's always always gonna happen. Um, but she got them for me, so she's a recent convert um, to uh, the A&M way of life. Um, well, uh, you know, this, this morning, um, last week we kicked off uh, a, a new series, and really our heart for these six weeks is to really just talk about how do we love God and how do we know Him? Pretty simple. So how do we love God? What does that need to look like in our lives? What are some areas we can really push into to demonstrate that love so that it moves from lip service to uh, action? Right, um, Because we don't want to be a people that say that we love him, but that's not really reflected in our choices and our thoughts and our actions uh, and in our words. So that's what we want to do. And so uh, today we're um, going to continue kind of in that theme. And, uh, but I want to start out by sharing with you just a little bit of story of my history uh, going back to 2008. And so January 2008... Um, I went to, I think you heard mention uh, by Jessica this morning about her experience at World Mandate. I also wanted to share an experience that I had at World Mandate back in Waco in 2008. And um, it was a Saturday morning session, and my wife Ashley, we were only married a couple years at the time, but she had to go work up in Dallas for uh, for a, a sales event for her job. And so it was just me, solo at World Mandate. And um, you know, uh, before she left, she was praying and just really sense God sharing with her, hey, this is gonna be a really impactful weekend for Tyler. So as much as you're sad about not being there, it's actually good that he's there, kind of in a sense alone, just meeting with God. And she was right. And so that weekend was an incredible weekend, and that Saturday morning, the worship happened, the speaker came up, and at the end, people were just responding to God and the message, and, you know, at that time, I had kind of hung out. Um, I'm a little crackly here. That's probably just on me. It's okay. Um, but at that time, I would typically kind of be towards the back a World Mandate. So um, uh, I know I sit up here at the front today, but that's because I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to sit up here. But sometimes you'll just see me hanging out in the corners because I just kind of like being in the back. So I was in the back, but this morning, on that Saturday morning, I felt compelled to get onto the floor, which was not my thing. I was not the floor guy. Like, I was like, uh, I'll stay back here, you know? But I just felt compelled, almost a bit shoved by God in a weird way to get onto the floor. So I went down there to the front. I just started worshiping and just pouring my heart out. And man, I did not uh, know what was coming. But as I was worshiping him, uh, a lady came over and just started praying over me. And I didn't really know her or anything, but she just started praying over me. And when she was praying, um, and this was kind of one of the first times I'd had this experience, but she was praying, she was like dead on with what she was saying. Like she was not just praying things like encouragements. She was detailing out things in my previous years of my life and also highlighting things that I was wrestling through and experiencing in the moment and it would have no idea about that. So she was praying over me, and I'm just like worshiping. And then it's like, you know, I don't cry a lot. And so then the tears started coming. So I'm like, this must be God. And and so and I'm there. And then like all of a sudden I'm feeling this like weight on my body. And I'm sharing this with you because this was this, this was like a new experience for me. And uh, I didn't I like I didn't sign up for this when I went to World Mandate. I just signed up to be worship, being encouraged, challenged in the areas of life, and then good. But so there I am. And my knees start kind of buckling. And, you know, it's one of those moments where I'm like, I'm not giving in. You know, like, no, I am standing here. And it's just like, oh, it's going down. You know, it's kind of like you're trying to lift these weights. You're like, you're like, all right. That's what it felt like. It was crazy. And. But man, it was because God was doing something in me, in my mind, my heart, my body as this woman was praying over me. And then some others came around and then eventually I found myself on the floor, the worship had ended, the lights were on, everybody was left, except or everybody left of a couple thousand people, maybe 10 or 15 people left in this arena, and I'm still there on the concrete floor. And I peel myself up and I'm like, wow, okay, well that was different. And this guy, this pastor at the church, actually, he was there hanging around. He came over to me and he said, hey, whatever God just did, you need to go get your journal and write it down because you're going to forget it. And so I did. I went to my car and for an hour just started writing. I was like, what? what? You know, from the prayers to what was experiencing. I was like, what is all this? And, um, and you know, and, and that experience and everything God was speaking to me, it had changed me. And I won't go into the details about everything that he revealed to me that moment, but what I will say is that God was preparing my heart and preparing my mind for something he wanted to do, but, but I wasn't prepared before that. And so sometimes, God, you had this powerful encounter experience, or you're reading the Word, and it's just like, it's just hitting you like a ton of bricks, like you've never heard this before, or someone's sharing a message with you, and you're just so convicted of the core, and it's like everything is just changing. It was one of those moments, but I knew that God was kind of clearing out stuff so he could speak freshly to me. And God oftentimes will do that. And so for me, that was an incredible encounter with God 14 years ago that has um, continue to impact my life today. And, um, you know, sometimes we find ourselves following God um, or pursuing him because we have to. And sometimes we find ourselves doing that because we want to. And when we talk about loving God, it, it needs to come from this place of, hey, is it because I want to love God or is it because I'm supposed to? Because does have to, right? And you can kind of put that statement and that kind of question with anything that you do in life. But I want to talk today about how God wants to move us from a place of duty to delight. Like he wants to move us from loving God and following him and knowing him and all that it means to be a Christian or follower of Jesus from a place of duty and mere responsibility to a place of delight a place of, man, I get to do that, right? Not just that I have to. But to do that, I wanna look at a passage in the Bible in Acts chapter nine. If you've got your Bible, you can pull it out. We'll have it on the screen as well. But if you know in the Bible, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You get the four gospels, and then you've got the book of Acts, and this is one of those like adventure books, right? I mean, just to, to read the story in Acts is kind of crazy. And I always like to say it dwarfs anything Hollywood can produce. Because it's just out of this world type of stuff. I mean, there's drama, there's action, adventure, there's, you know, there's all sorts of things happening. And it's really the acts of the apostles, of those that had followed Jesus once he left earth and ascended to be with God. He then said, hey, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And by the way, you guys are going to go minister and bring this message all over the world. And at that time, it was in Asia Minor and other areas, eventually made its way into Europe and other places. Here we are today, but that's kind of where the acts of the apostles started happening. And so things were happening. So you get these little snippets of stories and interactions happening. And in that, in Acts chapter 9, God kind of puts his hand on a new character that he's saying, guess what? You're now going to be a vital, a integral part of this story of the gospel message going forward. So <clears throat> before we read it, I just want to give a little background on Paul who was named Saul at this time. He was born in the city of Tarsus, um, and during Paul's time, this was a city which enjoyed no taxation. That'd be nice, right? It was a free city and a place of culture and learning. Paul received citizenship only because he was born into a family that had Roman citizenship. So he was a Jew, but he had a Roman citizenship, which, which was a really big deal at the time. And his family received it because they lived in this specific province. We read Paul's letters in the Greek language, and from this we know that Paul was well-educated. He could think, write, and articulate himself in Greek. So he was a smart guy. We also are aware that Paul was a student of Scripture. He was steeped in it. He could turn to it and both ground, and, and he could ground his arguments and, and continue to defend them because of his commitment to knowing the Scriptures. It's likely that Paul um, learned the scripture from his family and from the local synagogue. But we also know from the book of Acts that um, Paul did come to Jerusalem where he gained formal instruction under a man named Gamaliel who was a really um, well-known teacher of the law at the time. And Paul, where we know before he became Paul, he was named Saul, that's where he became a Pharisee and one who was able to teach and espouse and uphold the laws, and so <clears throat> this is his life. And as he gets deeper into the Pharisee realm and deeper into the studying of uh, of the Old Testament of the law at that time, he really wanted to uphold it. And he was very detailed. He was very religious. He was very vigilant on that. And so, um, what has started happening at this time is that the Jesus movement was happening. Right, they were called the followers of the way. People were hearing this message of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, this person who had uh, <clears throat> who had who had gone around doing miracles and teaching things, going to synagogues, and Pharisees were contesting him, and he was he was thwarting their arguments and and having this like wisdom that was profound and out of this world. They didn't know what to do, and so Paul or Saul at the time he saw this as a disruption to their way of life to their Jewish way of life, and they didn't want that, and he'd already seen other things happen. He wanted to uphold it, and so you can imagine, from his perspective, he was doing the right thing. From his perspective, he was trying to stave off any kind of false doctrine, heresies, things that would come in and attack the Jewish faith. He was hardcore, okay? So, Here's Saul, and he had been given orders and instructions from the chief priests to go and essentially track down and hunt down people who were followers of the way and imprison them, interrogate them, abuse them, so they would stop following this Jesus who they thought was this false prophet guy leading people astray. That's his mission. So here he is. He catches wind that there's more people in some other areas, and so he's on the road with some of his crew to Damascus to go arrest and abuse and frighten these followers of the way. And so you have you have Saul walking along uh, this road or riding along this road, and he is irritated, right? I don't know what his facial expressions were, but he probably looked very angry, right? And so here he goes. So he is he is on the road, and we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter nine, verse one through seven. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So that would freak me out probably, right? Where you're like, wait a second, where, where's, that, where's that coming from? And it's Jesus showing up and he says, why are you persecuting me, right? I want you to, to not glaze over that. You've maybe heard that before because what he is saying is when you're persecuting me, it wasn't just, hey, um, you are persecuting those who, who are followers of me, um, or you, but you are persecuting myself. Because as we know, later on, you read in the scriptures, when he talks about the church or the people of God, Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body. So he's talking about you're persecuting me, my people, that's what you're doing. And so he calls him out in this moment. And, um, you know, uh, he, th- this would be a like God encounter moment for him, Right. He thinks he's doing the right thing and all of a sudden he is met head on by Jesus and he is uh, 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 blinded in this moment and God's doing a profound work in him. And you know, I just wanna pause to say when I was 16 years old, um, I uh, was not in a good place in my life. It wasn't terrible, um, but man, I was, uh, I would probably say semi-depressed or depressed. I was pretty critical as a person, pretty judgmental. Um, I felt lonely. This was all going to my junior high school. And um, I didn't really have many friendships. My faith was kind of wavering. And I remember I had just started, I just, you know, began driving about a year prior and took my truck and went to go look at this, uh, to to go to this little spot I knew about that kind of overlooked this lake in Austin, just go be by myself. And I remember talking to God and just saying, I uh, don't like my life. I don't like what I'm doing, I don't like who I am, I don't know what to do. And in that moment, and again, I didn't have much context for like God speaking, or like all that I knew was hey, everything God wants to say is right here, and there's nothing he's gonna, he's gonna reveal to you more than that, it's just, it's just here. And, um, and what I didn't realize is that man, the spirit of God wants to highlight things to us and show us things and reveal to us even scriptures, but also moments in our life. And so there I was saying, God, what do I do? I don't know how else to say it, but it wasn't the audible voice necessarily that like Saul heard on the road, but I knew that God was speaking to me. And what he said was, Tyler, if you will stop cursing people and start blessing them, then I will bless you. And this wasn't rocket science. It's like y'all can say, well, yeah, no brainer. It's like sowing and reaping you know you're angry It's like you know like what whatever the golden rule is right do unto others you would have them do to you but for me in that moment I needed God to speak to me and say that and so I did so I literally changed my ways in that moment because I sensed so profoundly that God was meeting me in this place then I decided to change my life and so I remember going to school my junior high school I went to the same high school four years okay so imagine I go to the I, I show up junior year of high school, first week of school, I am reintroducing myself to everybody. I'm like, hi, I'm Tyler. They're like, yeah, I know. We like playing the same soccer team. I know, just kind of starting over. Hi, I'm Tyler. Yeah, we were in science last year. Okay. Hey, I'm just kind of starting over. And so, um, you know, I I'm I'm realizing that at 16 years old. That when God spoke to me, it had a profound impact. And it wasn't anyone else telling me. It was just God speaking in my heart. And here's what I want to say. Whenever someone teaches you something or shares something with you, you should take it and learn from it. But it will never trump what God has to say. It doesn't have as much power. I don't know. Like, I can tell you, hey, you should start eating green smoothies. Right? It's really good for you. And you may, oh, okay, and you're convincing, and I understand that. But when God speaks to you about green smoothies, you're like, i I'm in. And if everybody else makes fun, of you drinking your smoothies, you're chugging it. Do you understand? Like the conviction of God, when God speaks to you, it's like, say whatever you wanna say, but I'm here. Do you know what I'm saying? And I love that about the story because Saul literally changes because Jesus speaks to him this moment. Let's continue on. and um, verse eight, we're just gonna, uh, they don't have it on the screen, but I'm gonna read this part. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him, him, brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So he was fasting and blind for three days. So if God can't get through to you, I don't know. But I think God got through to him. So there was a disciple, Damascus, named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called straight. I mean, I love that. Is there really a street called Straight? I guess so. Straight, crooked, sideways. I mean, I don't, these streets are awesome. So he goes to the street called Straight. I think that's profound. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many You see, Ananias is a devout follower of Jesus, and he knows about Saul. He knows about this guy who was beating people, interrogating people, scaring people, imprisoning them, he's fully aware. But because he had met with God prior to that, God spoke to him profoundly to get him to go and pray for like enemy number one. In history, you're like, you gotta be crazy. Nobody could have been like, hey, Ananias, there's this guy over here. He's the guy that's persecuted everyone and he's gonna probably imprison us. It's probably a trap. But hey, can you go pray for him? He wasn't gonna do that. But Jesus had to speak to him and say, hey, this is what I want you to do. And guess what? Even uh, against all logic, we would say, I mean, if we were his friends, like, Ananias, what are you doing? Don't do that. Right? We would probably try to stop him. He would say, no, the Lord spoke to me. So he had this profound encounter with God. So he goes, and he lays hands on Paul, and he, <clears throat> and he prays for him. And we're going to pick that up in verse 17 through 19. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Remember, he was fasting for three days. For some days, he was the disciple. He was with the disciples at Damascus. So let me pause. So not only does Ananias go over there, but he's probably also reminded of some teachings he probably had heard from Jesus. If you remember the Sermon on the Mount, this famous passage that's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus gives this long message, and it says this in verse 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, here's the good thing about the Bible. Remember, don't just take a verse and stop there. Make sure you get the context. Because we could take that today and say, hey, guess what? You know what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. See, I can hate you just using it to make a point. But he says in verse 44, good thing we read that one. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Why can Jesus say love your enemies? Because he's saying your responsibility is to love them. Your responsibility is not to be the judger of them, but it is to love them. Even pray for those that persecute you, which in this situation is like textbook. Love your enemy, this guy Saul. Pray for those who are persecuting you and your friends, this guy Saul. And so maybe Ananias knew this. Well, that's why it's important for us to know the scriptures. So when we get in a sticky situation with something to fall back on besides just the moment, right? Like we have to have the word in us so that when things are hard, when we're faced with really challenging situations that maybe even don't make sense, we have the words of Jesus to go back on and say, hold on, wait a second, there is an answer for this. There is a perspective I need to have that I'm not having. God, what do you say about this? Oh, I remember, yes. So here's Ananias, and he goes in and he prays for him, and he said, he sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Saul is there, he's already had an encounter with Jesus, Ananias has spoken to him, they're now meeting up, he lays hands on him, and he regains his sight. I mean, so the miracle, just wow. And as he opens his eyes, it's not only that he regains his sight, but then he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Which this would have been new to Saul, this before it became Paul, this would have been new to him that the Spirit of God would come upon him and because what the Spirit of God does, it turns it from religion to relationship. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You can, be, you can be a religious scholar and have no love. You can be a religious scholar and have no fruit of the Spirit. You can be an expert on the Scriptures and know it inside and out. You can be smarter than Saul was, and a Pharisee of Pharisees, but be cold, be numb, to even be blinded by your actions and your words because there's a coldness there. But it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately something like scales fell from him. Then he rose up. I mean, this is a great story. Then he gets baptized. It's like, what happened? I mean, three a four... This guy is totally anti-everything Jesus-related. Now he's being prayed for. Someone's laying hands on him, which was probably very uncomfortable and strange for him. You know? Growing up, I never had someone lay hands on me for anything, except, you know, my brother and I wrestling, you know? <clears throat> but growing up in the church, tr- there was no, like, touching. I grew up in a environment you know environment is like, hey, everybody keeps themselves. When someone's going to pray for you, they're going to say, I'm going to pray for you, and it's going to be later at a time I'm not going to tell you But just know I'm praying for you. Come on. We know what it's like to be in Texas. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, God bless America. Hey, I'm praying for you. What we should start doing is saying, well, when are you going to pray for me? What did you say? What did God say? Whoa, 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 whoa. Right? So this is all new to him probably. Hey, I'm like literally praying for you. And I'm laying hands on you to show you that God loves you, he is going to heal you, and by the way, he's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit, and oftentimes that is how God does that. Not all the time, but oftentimes there is something about the proximity, something about the love, something about the in-person nature that God wants us to have as a people. You know, when I had visited Antioch in Waco years ago, this is 2004, she gets get some of my history here. Ashley and I had started um, dating, and I don't know what that was, Febru- February 2004? Is that right? Yeah, February 2004. January, January, February, somewhere in there. Started dating, and I would go visit her up in Waco on the weekends, and so, I went there maybe a month or two months into his dating. I went there on a Sunday morning. and I'm just there, kind of, you know, in the service. And it was kind of new to me. And this guy, because this guy named Clark, he was a friend of Ashley's and in, their li- in her life group. And he, like, started praying for me one morning. He, like, put his hand on me. You know, I, in church, like, if you if get a hand on you, it's like, you're in trouble, you know? It's like, <laughs> sir, I need you to sit down, you know, or leave, whatever. <laughs> and so he puts his hand on me, like, he's like, hey, man, I'm just going to pray for you. Like, uh, okay. So he started praying for me. It wasn't long, but it was like, what? How did you, what? And he just prayed for me, just some things were going on in my life right there. And he was like, hey, this is what God's doing. And it feels like you're drinking from a, you know, from like a drip faucet, but now God's going to put you in front of a fire hydrant. And so just be ready for that. And I was kind of like, whoa, I don't know if I want that, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> I like the drip faucet, you know, uh, it's easier, you know. But, man, he prayed for me, and then sure enough, that's kind of what started to happen in my life. I mean, spiritually, it just comes like a a whole new world. And so he was like prophetically praying over me. I didn't, know, I didn't have language. I didn't know what that was. But it was powerful and impacted my life. But just someone else hearing God on my behalf praying for me, that's why we pray for one another. Because we want what God is saying, but sometimes we can't hear it. Sometimes he's got to speak it through someone else to us so powerful. So here we go in verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, so this is Paul, right? So here we go. He's healed the blindness. He gets some food to eat. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he's water baptized. So a lot going on for him, okay? And all of a sudden, it says he spent some days, I don't know how many days, some days, with the disciples of Damascus. So probably learning about how to follow Jesus and all these kind of things. So he was like literally being discipled by some people there. But then it says, he immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his, this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. You see, an encounter with Jesus took him from religion to relationship. From, I would argue, from duty to delight. From a, my eyes have been opened. And I think, in many sense, metaphorically, Jesus blinding him was only showing him you've actually been blinded all along. And when you regain your sight, you're gonna see for the first time, truly see. So when the scales came off, I believe in that moment, he all of a sudden saw that he, he couldn't see before. It was like the veil had been lifted. And so, so much so that this guy now goes back in the synagogues and now he's boldly preaching. And the other Pharisees are like, I thought he was on our team. You know what I'm saying? And he just did a, a, a switcheroo within a matter of days or weeks, and all of a sudden now he's boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ. So how can that happen? How can all the bitterness and anger and viciousness in a man's life change in a matter of days or weeks? An encounter with God. I mean, that's the game changer. That's the trump card. That's the X factor. Whatever term you want to use, when you have an encounter with God, all of a sudden, all the books you're reading, it's like, man, it took me years reading through these things. can not change it. I'm just, that's just the way he works. God will work in different timings and processes. I'm not saying that every day that there's something that's just profound impact, but there are moments in our lives that are profound, that are significant, that are game changers, and we have to recognize that and say, okay, I'm not going back to that. I'm moving forward, and what we see in his life is when you have a profound encounter with Jesus, there is no going back, there's only going forward. And that's what I want to encourage you with, church, that there is a place for us to shift from duty to delight, from religion to relationship, that we would love God and know him as a father, someone who loves us, that cares about you, that wants what's best for you. Because encountering God will make us do crazy things. I'm going to invite the band to come on up here as we wrap up our time in a few minutes. Um, But, you know, encountering the Lord looks kind of different. So, when we talk about, hey, how do we grow in our love for God? How do we grow in our relationship with Him? There has to be some effort on our end to pursue that relationship. God is pursuing us, right? He actually created you. So, just from the get go, He loves you enough to make you. Yes, He puts you in your mommy's tummy and you came out and you've grown up and here you are. But He loves you enough to create you, to make you, to make you unique to specifically identify everything about your genetics and everything else. Whether you like it or not, he likes it. He created you. He loves you. But now we're on a journey of getting to know our creator, getting to know him. And there's different ways we can cultivate that. And that's kind of what I want to end with today is there's there's ways to cultivate our relationship with him to where it shifts from, um, from like duty to delight, to where it shifts from... Religious activity to relational connectivity. That's what we, what we want. You've heard us say it before, and you've probably heard it before, but, you know, one of the best ways you can cultivate that relationship is just spending time with him. And that means getting a Bible and starting to read somewhere, going through the reading plan, reading through with some friends. Maybe it's a chapter day, maybe it's a few verses. But just saying, hey, I, I want to get to know him more. Because maybe i maybe I missed the stuff about his heart. And why do we read this? There's lots of reasons. But one of them is so you get to know his character. You, you, you get to know him. You get to know his heart and how he views things and how we're supposed to align our lives with that. So spending time with him. But not just in the word, but in worship. There's ways just to express your heart and your emotions and your, and, and to God that maybe needs to be done through song. Right? That maybe needs to be done through, through, through dancing there are ways that God will meet with us and minister to us in that place of giving him our affections and our praise. Or in prayer, like I said, there's places where we can pray into things. We can throw our hands up and say, man, I quit or I don't know what to do. Or we can pray into it. Or if you don't know what to pray, then say, can you pray for me? I mean, ask friends, ask someone, hey, I, I feel stuck. I feel like I wanna quit, I wanna give up. I need someone to pray because I don't have the strength. I don't have the faith. I don't have the courage right now to believe for this anymore. Like, there may be someone in your life that you love who is sick. And you want them to be healthy. You want them to be healed up, but you're praying or having, you're just you're kind of like, man, I don't know what to do. And sometimes you need others to rally around you and say, hey, we'll pray for that. We got energy, put us in. It's kind of like you're playing a game for a long time, you're worn out, you need a water break. Hey, come on, man, take my spot. Because I can't do it right now, but I need you to help me. That's called the body of Christ. That's called the family. You don't have to be on all the time. You're gonna, life's gonna present some of this. That's why you pull people in. Hey, pull, let me pull you in. And when you're high, hey, who needs some? Because I'm feeling good. <laughs> let me give some of this to you. But that's the body. That's what God wants for us. And encountering him is not just you individually time with him, but it's being in a community like this whether it's in life group and discipleship, here on a Sunday morning, or other things you may do. You may go with some friends to go mountain biking. You may go play ultimate frisbee. You may um, spend time drinking coffee with a buddy. You may get together a few people, just hey, let's pray together, Can we just let's worship, get a guitar. I can't play every game, but let's just give it a go. Let's just sing to God, let's just do something so that we can be together and say, God, would you meet with us? You don't have to have the church's approval to do that you just got to want it. Call people and say, hey, can we get together? Come on. Because the Bible's clear. Wherever two or three are gathered, he is there. He's present. So sometimes it's just you and him, but sometimes you need to invite a few people in to be part of the journey with you. I want you to go and stand this morning as we close. I'm just going to invite the, our, some of our life leaders up this morning real quick. Um, a, they are a prayer team for us. So if you're new here, just we want to make them available just to pray for you. Anything you need this morning, they're here. Everything's confidential up here. That is, anything you share is confidential. It's between you and the Lord. They're just here to help facilitate just a chance to be ministered to by God. And our goal is for um, for you to for you to hear from Him this morning. Our goal is for you to say, Jesus, wherever I'm at, if I don't, if I haven't had a fresh encounter with You in a long time, or Lord, I feel like I'm a little like Saul here, like. <laughs> I just feel like, man, this Christian thing is just religious and I I don't feel the whole life. I just feel dutiful. I feel stuck. Wherever you're at, we've all been in those places. Just come up, grab someone and say, hey, I don't know you. Here's my name and will you pray over me? You can tell them something or not tell them anything. Just say, I just need you to pray for me. Whatever God's saying, just let it rip (laughs) because I want more. I want to sense his nearness and his closeness again. So if you're tired, you're weary, confused, discouraged, or just saying, you know what? It's Sunday morning. I'm feeling great, but I want to feel better. So let someone pray over me. It'll only do you good. There's no harm up here. <laughs> it's only going to help you one way or another. Somebody just pray for us and invite you to come on up as you want during worship. Jesus, we thank you. Trust you. Lord, we do ask that you would be meeting with people over the room right now. Holy Spirit, that you would come. Come and meet with us. You know what we need. You know where we're at. You know the journeys we've been on. Lord, reveal your love in a fresh way. Let us love you back, but let us sense that you're near, that you care about us, that you're here. Lord, speak into the hard places. Speak into the places of discouragement, I pray this morning. Come, Spirit of God, minister to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.